So, recording now. Uh, hello, everybody. Good morning. <clears throat> it is Wednesday. Uh, what is it? Wednesday, February 19th. So, February is moving right along. Today, I want to read uh, through the next sutta in the 71 of uh, Sutta Nepata. We're in the second major chapter, uh, Chula Vaga, the lesser. Chula meaning lesser Vaga chapter. Uh, we're at Sutta Nepata 2.6, meaning second chapter, and sixth sutra called Dhammacharya. Uh, this is interesting. It's a There's a very strange backstory to this sutta, and it connects also with Dhammapada, meaning the Buddhist text called Dhammapada, a part of the Pali Canon, uh, is considered direct uh, statements of Gautama teaching those assembled or those around him in circumstances or events that happened during his life. And this, uh, the occasion at which Gautama preached or spoke what here is called Dhammacharya Sutta, uh, is one such um, event that gave rise to a chapter, portions of a chapter in Dhammapada. This, chap- this sutta, Dhammacharya, is also called Kapila Sutta, and I'll explain that. Uh, the title of it is uh, confused uh, in that um, there are two translations we'll work from. One is somebody named John Ireland, the other one, Tanisaro Bhikkhu, as before. The, trans, the title Dhamma means, obviously, Buddha Dhamma, which um, could be law or truth, also virtue or uh, moral con- morality, or uh, the morality of truth and universal law, or the morality of being in accord with universal laws that associate with our own development, the Dhamma. Uh, so dhammacharya, charya means conduct or activity or behavior. Uh, it also can mean teacher, and so dhammacharya is the conduct of dhamma, not wrong conduct, as it was translated by John Ireland, who I think, unfortunately, seemed to do his own thing as translators commonly do, and um, it's not <laughs> wrong conduct as a transla- direct translation of dhammacharya. It's dhammacharya. Dhamma conduct or uh, Dhamma based life or living. The write up from Tanasaro here is the monks are encouraged to avoid monks who conduct their lives in unwholesome ways. Uh, and the backstory is about the monk who conducted himself in an unwholesome way. The second link um, from Wisdom Lib. Lib the definition of the word kapila, which again is the alternate, is the is the monk under consideration that was the troublemaker and the subject of the sutta, where it is in other at one or two, I think, other places in the Pali Canon with the name Kapila Sutta. So this same Dhammacharya Sutta is also called Kapila Sutta, about the monk named Kapila. The backstory, first of all, Kapila is a very common name in in um, Hindu in Hindu history in Hinduism, or uh, the history mythology of various Hindu sects. So it's a very common name. 
but in this case, it refers to uh, on the second link, you'll see number four down the page in the section Buddhism Theravada uses of the word Kapila. A monk, he was the younger brother of Sodana. His mother was Sadini. His sister was Tapana. And the story is uh, probably mythology, although um, it's a strange one. Uh, it goes on. The whole family entered the order, uh, meaning the Sangha, or the time of Kashapa Buddha, which was in the ancient mythological past, one of the previous Buddhas. Okay, so we've got Kapila the monk with his brother. He's the younger brother of another who became a monk, and with a mother and sister. They then, <laughs> under the order of a previous Buddha, Kashapa, uh, the older brother, Sodana, learned meditation, become an arhat. Then Kapila learned the three pitakas, the pitakas uh, being tripitaka, tipitaka, tip or tree, meaning three, pitaka basket, meaning he learned sutta and abhidhamma and vinaya or rules the Abhidhamma meaning like commentary and theory, he learned those all real well under a previous Buddha. Then it says, he learned the three Pitakas and, intoxicated with learning, disagreed with everybody, right or wrong. And so partly, part of what we've got here is a character study of um, the guy who has a chip on his shoulder who's smart and has learning, and basically uh, beats everybody up intellectually with his learning. <laughs> he would heed no admonition. So he's heedless, and we'll see that word later. He would heed no admonition, meaning people trying to help him, but he wouldn't listen. He followed a life of evil conduct in which he was followed by mother and sister. Then, <laughs> one day when he, Kapila, was reciting the Patimoka, meaning the rules and sort of he was the leader of one of the monthly, bi-monthly, twice-monthly readings of the rules for monks in which they would confess or not confess, uh, talking about... Uh, basically, it's sort of a um, collective purification uh, time. It's sort of like required collective uh, confessional um, if they broke any of the rules. Uh, and that clears them, so long as it's not um, a major break, meaning one of the... Um, there are certain rules that if you break, you're thrown out, and that's the end of that. Anyway, uh, one day he's reading it. None of the other monks gave responses. In anger, he then declared, there's no Dhamma or Vinaya, meaning he said, this whole thing is bullshit. Y you know, uh, it's all empty. And then, thus he put obstacles in the way of religion, was born in hell, reborn in hell. Then, later, he was born in Achiravati, uh, which is some place, I guess, um, it might have been a physical realm or not, or part of India, I didn't look into it. He was reborn as a fish. <laughs> and the fish's name was Kapila Macha. Kapila actually uh, also means uh, tawny, or golden, or brownish-red or light tan, or yellowish. So that's his name. <laughs> then the story is, some fishermen, having caught him, took him to the king of Kosala. This is during the time of Buddha, Gautama Buddha. Right? Siddhartha Gautama Buddha now is the one who was walking 2,500 years ago. Kashapa Buddha is a previous Buddha of um, eons before. 
So during this current time of Gautama, the fish was taken to the king. At, as the fish was of golden hue, right, that's the kapila, the king took him the king took him to the Buddha, right? So the fishermen catch it and take it to the king. The king says, Wow, look how gold and beautiful this fish is, takes him to the Buddha. Then and asks for explanation. Why is he so beautiful? This is like a gold a gold fish. Golden fish. Then <laughs> when the fish opened his mouth, the whole of Jetawana stank. It's a cute story. And so he's a beautiful outside but he has a stinking, rotten smell mouth. And so the whole of that grove, Jetta's grove, where the monks were, smelled like a nasty something. The Buddha questioned the fish and made him confess his sins. Mm -hmm. Struck with remorse, the fish died, was reborn once more in hell. Ba-bum. Okay. Now, <laughs> the third link... Um, I'm, I'm, you know, as I'm looking to prepare for these talks, I'm uh, finding all sorts of things that um, I had heard of um, what when I was 20, so 30 plus years ago, when I was looking into the Pali Canon for the first time uh, more deeply, as I was living in monasteries and um, gung ho, hard, hard pushing to learn and practice and um, attain. Uh, there are all of these various commentaries from the Abhidhamma that are the basis of the suttas. And then they're translated, many of them are old uh, Western translations. And so this one is actually from a book called Buddhist Legends. And uh, it's confusing what this long page is about. It's, it's from this book, Buddhist Legends, which is drawing from the Abhidhamma, which is the basis of many of the suttas, which um, was translated uh, a long time ago, not the great translations uh, that came about a hundred years ago <laughs> into English. Uh, meanwhile, it has some of the stuff that you won't see today commonly because it's um, background and um, mythological. It makes Buddhism look a little bit um, irrational, <laughs> superstitious to those who um, would get stuck on that. Uh, it would be an impediment for people learning uh, what they can, um, thinking, oh, well, this is just Buddha talked to a fish. Ha 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 ha, what a stupid group of people. Uh, meanwhile, there's some very, like, like before, there's some very interesting real spiritual principles uh, that I could discern in reading through this section of that book called Buddhist Legends, which I think was written by a guy named Burlingame uh, about a hundred years ago. Um, so this then, looking for Kapila Sutta, what I find here is the section from the Dhammapada, which is Dhammapada chapter 24, which is various verses starting at 334. The Buddhist scholars have a lot to work with. There's lots of fun stuff to examine. So book 34 is called Tanavaga, uh, or Tana chapter, or craving, the chapter on craving, right? The, the craving chapter of Dhammapada, which then <laughs> uh, could be called Redfish 34. It's Tanavaga, and then there's a sort of subtitle, Redfish. Redfish is Kapila. He's not red, he's golden. 
So, again, all sorts of troubles. But this portion of Dhammapada, a few verses here, were spoken in relation to this event of the king bringing the golden fish to the Buddha for and asking for explanation. Excuse me. So let me read these four verses of Dhammapada. This is just one translation. I think after uh, Sutta Nipata, uh, probably I will do Dhammapada uh, <laughs> 30 weeks from now, uh, in t- next year, <laughs> if we get to it. Uh, so, okay, Dhammapada 334 to 337, a old translation, but it's uh, not too bad. 334, and I'll just read them all. If a man walk in heedlessness, craving grows within him, Tana, like the creeper, he floats from life to life, like a monkey seeking fruit in a forest. Whosoever is overcome by this fierce Tana of attachment for the world, the sorrows of such a man increase, like the luxuriant Birana grass. But whosoever overcomes this fierce Tana, craving, thirst, hunger, difficult to overcome in this world, for that one, sorrows roll off from him like a drop of water from a lotus leaf. Therefore, with your kind permission, (laughs) this is Gautama, I say this to you, to all as many as are here gathered together. Dig up the root of Tana, even as he who seeks the fragrant Usira root digs up the Birana grass, let lest Mara, uh, personification of evil or negativity or temptation, lest Mara crush you again and again as a stream crushes reeds. So all naturalistic images, because this is 2,500 years ago and uh, it was a low-tech time. Uh, <clears throat> heedlessness, interestingly, back, 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 comes from uh, Proto-Germanic, uh, Hodas, which is um, shelter, protection, defense. It's Hodas and Jana. Hodas Jana became heed. Okay. Uh, heedful means obviously observant and carefully attending to or attentive. Uh, be careful, <laughs> be guarded. But it's very much about protection and defense. And so being heedful is self-protective. Being observant is self-protective. Um, seeing the, So the common meaning of the word heed, heedful, uh, takes us back, um, the, the implications of being heedful takes us actually back to the original um, etymological roots, meaning Understanding, some, this happens sometimes in etymological analysis for me, that the common understanding, the uh, denotation of the word today, uh, <clears throat> when its consequences or implications are understood, meaning what's it really about, um, it's explained by the etymological root. So, heedful. He's heedful, he's careful, he's watchful, he's observant. What does that do? Well, what it does is it leads to protection. It's a guarding of self by watchfulness, by keeping your eyes open, by a commitment to seeing clearly. 
So seeing clearly as self-protection, guarding oneself from getting into trouble, um, going in a wrong way or a harmful way, a wrong way being a harmful way, harmful to us, uh, and harmful to others is harmful to us. Uh, to avoid that, one needs to have the value of wanting to see things clearly, regardless of sentiment or feeling. My feeling is my feeling, but the truth is impersonal, or the truth of what's happening in a situation uh, is distinct from how I feel about it. And that's a very important matter. <laughs> Not having one's opinions clouded by one's emotionality or sentiment or emotionally based preference. Uh, not seeing things the way you want them. Not seeing them the way you hate them. But seeing uh, life as it is. Seeking to see it as it is. That's heedfulness. And that um, can absolutely lead to some increasing freedom from craving, hunger, thirst, tanha. And so, uh, without that careful, without that commitment to seeing things clearly, particularly seeing um, the likely consequences of decision, the likely consequences of activity, the likely consequences of speech and behavior, and the ramifications of thought and belief. Meaning, I believe certain things, what are the consequences? I believe the world is unfair and there is no God, and um, you live and you die, YOLO. What are the consequences of that? And also, <laughs> is it true? Uh, what are the consequences of holding that? Well, there are many. And so anyway, <clears throat> uh, what's associated here is this uh, careless approach to life that leads to continued reincarnation, floating from life to life. Uh, a person who doesn't He's not taking care, he, she, not taking care of himself. And this is attachment, one of the forms of craving. It's really craving for sensual pleasure. It's also craving for um, desired mind states. So this guy, Kapila, when he was a monk long, long ago, under the time of Kashapa Buddha, he was not into sensual pleasure. He was into um, uh, interpersonal domination. He was dominating because he had such an excellent understanding of Tupitaka, of the three baskets of Sutta, Abhidhamma, Vinaya. He was lording his knowledge and mental power over others and enjoying dominating them mentally. And that's not a sensual pleasure, but it's an attachment, obviously, to control and power and manipulation and dominance. Um, and that led him to become the fish. <laughs> and so... There's also this, in 336, sorrows roll off of him like a drop of water from a lotus leaf to the degree one overcomes fierce tana, fierce craving. So to the extent that we're not driven, driven by our feelings, driven by preference, unexamined preference, driven by um, fear, let's just say, fear and hope, hope and fear, it's got to be this way. It's really a sense of need and fear. The pers a, per a, a subjective sense of need. It must be. And so he, he couldn't um, listen to advice from the other monks, this fellow Kapila. And he was driven emotionally 
to uh, show dominance intellectually over the other monks. And so that's what means a monk with an unwholesome uh, lifestyle. But uh, to the degree that one goes beyond this instinctive attachment to uh, fear and need, neediness, uh, some unexamined need, I must, it must be, uh, normally much of that's unconscious, and then fear. Uh, to the extent that one has mm, broken some of those roots, um, one can um, receive pain or feel pain or discomfort and not get distorted. And that's uh, that we'll see later down on the uh, in the sutta. I may take two weeks on this because the backstories are interesting, even if they're mythological or fanciful in some element. Um, there are interesting principles here that one can hit. One can take the worldly winds, the four unpleasant worldly winds of loss and pain, uh, dishonor, and um, blame. Blame and dishonor. One can receive them without getting further distorted. And that's what it means, sorrows rolling off like a drop of water from a lotus leaf. And then finally, uh, Gautama's <laughs> exhorting the monks and the people listening, uh, dig up craving. Uh, otherwise, you're going to have a rebirth, excuse me, rebirth again and again. Um, and a lot more suffering. And that's what Buddhism is about, is a reduction of suffering, which is any form of stress. So let me uh, read this um, fanciful story, backstory, to uh, Dhammacharya Sutta or Kapila Sutta uh, from, I guess it's uh, Burlingame's book, Buddhist Legends. Uh, it goes on. This religious instruction, meaning the sutta, was given by the teacher, Gautama, while he was in reg residence at Jetawana, Jetta's Grove, with reference to redfish. <laughs> He's actually golden fish. Kapila Macha. One, story of the past, the insolent monk and the bandits. The story goes that in times long past, when exalted Kashapa, meaning the previous Buddha, passed into Nibbana, two brothers of respectable family retired from the world and became monks under their disciples, meaning under the disciples of the previous Buddha. The name of the older brother was Sodana, the younger was Red. <laughs> Not Red, it's Golden, Kapila. Likewise, the mother, Sadini, and the younger sister, Tapana, retired from the world and became nuns. So the whole family went into the monastery. After the two brothers had become monks, they performed regularly and faithfully the major and minor duties to their teachers and their preceptors. <clears throat> this is the um, structure of the monastic sangha. One day, they asked the following question, Reverend Sir, how many burdens are there in this religion? meaning obligations for us uh, being monks here, and receive the following answer. There are two burdens, the burden of study and the burden of meditation. Bum, bum. Uh, thereupon the older brother said, I will fulfill the burden of meditation, and for, meaning sodhana, and for five years kept residence with his teacher and preceptor, uh, obtaining a subject of meditation leading to arahatship, arahatship, meaning he was given a meditation technique um, that can go all the way. Not every meditation technique goes all the way, but very few people want to hear that who are outside of Buddhism. He entered the forest after struggling and striving with might and main, he attained arahatship. So he became arahant. Uh, the important note, I think, is that 
um, there are two requirements um, to go far in Buddhism or to transform self through Buddhism, study and meditation. There's another tradition, it may be theosophy, but uh, talking about study, meditation, and service, that the three pillars are study, meditation, and service. Here you've got two out of the three, and um, the Buddhist, the early Buddhist view of service or helping others is primarily that study, meditation, and commitment to mind or self or total transformation, that's service. So that I learn, that I conduct myself morally or harmlessly, blamelessly, and learn and practice meditation and continue to achievements, some awakening, uh, one of the four, even or all the way. That's my service to the world. And I think there's no problem with that whatsoever. And people who think that service uh, is only physical association with people, talking, sitting with them, listening, handing them food or something physical, um, miss the point. There are far more subtle other aspects or, or forms of service beyond physical talking and um, giving materially. Then <clears throat> you've got, so you've got, what you've got is one of the brothers takes up meditation, the other one takes up study. The younger brother, uh, Goldenfish, said, I'm young yet, when I'm old, I'll fulfill the burden of meditation then. Meaning it's too hard. <laughs> so he did the easier study, which is a whole lot easier than going on and on and on and on in meditation till the end. Accordingly, uh, Kapila assumed the burden of study. He learned by heart the three pitakas, meaning the three baskets. By his knowledge of the texts, he, he gained a great following among the monks. So even in the monk community, which were many at that time, or you know, at the time of uh, any Buddha, the Buddha is not running everything everywhere all the time. There are portions of the Sangha doing their own thing with their own teachers. And in this case, he gained a following of monks and I guess lay people who were impressed by the fact that he had this amazing understanding of Dhamma, or texts. Uh, similar to uh, Mingan Sayadaw of Burma, who could memorize 16,000 pages of Amidama. Maybe this fellow had such a um, powerful mind as well, but he had no virtue. <laughs> he gained a great following through his following, and you can see a, through his following rich offerings, so he became a rich monk. Um, uh, what was the rule at that time for monks and money or possessions, I don't know, but it certainly was associated with him. In fact, um, let me just see something. Yeah, they became a monk. So how do you become a, a rich monk? I don't really know. Depends on the rule that was going on. But normally, or one of, it's all very complicated as always, but one of the sects of Theravada Buddhism, there are a few, um, allows the monks to have uh, to touch money, and the other one, and other one, or others don't, which was the original. So anyway, um, by study without meditation, <laughs> he got into big trouble. Drunk with intoxication of great learning, I'm sure we know people like that. Overcome with craving for gain, it's uh, all in the news, for all the characters on the newspaper or uh, in the headlines. 
he was led by overweening pride of knowledge. So arrogance. And he had a good mind. And he was arrogant, which cut the whole thing down. <laughs> you know, great knowledge, great mental power goes to shit, goes to hell. <laughs> if a person is a hardcore troublemaker, as he was. So overweening pride of knowledge to pronounce a thing said by others, even when it was right to be wrong. And even when wrong, said by others, to be right. Even when innocent, to be sinful. Even when sinful, to be innocent. So he reversed everything. He was a satanic inversionist. A occult service to self path or inversionist reversalist who reversed things, right? Uh, when strong appear weak, when weak appear strong, right? That's Sun Tzu, so they say. If it's false, say it's true. If it's true, say it's false. So, uh, so goes Machiavellian philosophy. So his thing was just putting people down, putting them in a small box and showing his uh, superiority or trying to continually reestablish uh, dominance and superiority by the fact, the fact that he had great knowledge and a good mind complex. And uh, the whole thing was undercut by his arrogance. Kindly monks used to say to him, Brother Kapila, do not speak thus. They would admonish him, quoting to him doctrine and discipline, meaning suttas and vinaya. But Kapila would reply, What do you know, empty fists? Meaning you uh, nobody know nothings. And would go about snubbing and disparaging others. Where do you think such a person goes? Mm -mm -mm -mm. So, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> when a snake drinks water, it turns to poison. So, he drank the the water of uh, Buddha Dhamma teaching, uh, Tripitaka, and great study and learning, and turned it to a weapon um, against the other monks. The monks and this is also a, a, an object lesson of how to deal with a person like this. What happens to a person like this, and how to deal with a person like this. So first they try to help him, then he snubs them. Okay. Then the next step is the monks reported the matter to his brother, right? The one who attained Nibbana from study, uh, from meditation only. So Dana, his brother, went to him and said, Brother Kapila, for men such as you, right conduct uh, is the life of religion. Right conduct means right speech, right action, right livelihood. Right speech, he was surely not in. Right conduct is the life of religion, therefore you should not abandon right conduct. Reject, nor should you, reject what is right and proper and speak as you do, which is not right or proper and is harsh and malicious and false. So he was involved in several types of wrong speech. Deceptive speech, meaning whether it was right or wrong from the other, he would um, he would oppose it. Um, and so that's false speech. Then he's harsh and malicious, meaning he wants to hurt them. He wants to knock them down. And many keep following. How about that? So even in uh, some previous age Buddha Sangha community time, there are there were. So presumably, uh, other monks who followed uh, this one, who had no virtue, <laughs> who was deep, deep in wrong speech and harsh conduct, who was on his way to hell, but 
had great learning, great knowledge, great uh, expressive ability, and no virtue, and no kindness, no kindness, no love, no sympathy, no compassion. They followed him, and he went to hell. And that's the case we see all over the place in the world today. I mean, in some places, in cults, in religion, <laughs> in lots of organizations, uh, and lots of people who um, lack mental power and vast knowledge, learning, you know, like most people, um, look up to uh, the one that has that mental power and knowledge and learning and expressive capacity and and overlook the rest, <laughs> namely his or her virtue, morality, ethics. <clears throat> anyway, his brother says you should not abandon right conduct, meaning, yes, you have all this knowledge, it's great, but what about <laughs> right speech or right behavior? Thus did Sodana admonish his brother Kapila, but the latter Kapila paid no attention to what he said, however, <clears throat> and so this is how to progressively work with uh, such a person. However, Sodana, the elder brother, admonished him two or three times, but seeing that he paid no attention to his words, left him, saying, Well, brother, you will become notorious for your doings. <clears throat> uh, because he was an arhant, and he probably had a sense of what was going to happen to his wayward brother. And from that time on, the rest of the kindly monks would have nothing to do with him. The kindly monks see who's not kindly. The uneducated or unstudied or uh, undeveloped monks who are not yet kindly looked up to him. This is a very important point. Uh, those with morality see those with morality. Those with morality, morality meaning kindliness, see those who are and those who are not. Those without it, don't. And so those that were following him, who were monks? We have monks like that today. You have people, you have pastors and preachers and popes and abbots and, you know, monks and nuns and lay people and uh, ordinary folk, not religious at all, um, who are learned without being kindly or who are seeking learning and mental power um, not valuing morality and those people are suckered in by the clever deceiver who's immoral and unkindly because those followers or becoming followers don't value kindly they simply value um, mental intellectual knowledge and communication ability, knowing and speaking, learning, knowing, speaking. They don't value moral conduct. And so if you don't value it, you won't see it, uh, you won't see others who have it or don't have it. And so <laughs> this is the consequences of, of one's personal deep values. Those monks that followed him were not kindly, or some were and some left, uh, but those that stayed didn't care that he was not nice and unki unkind and mean and cruel, actually. They didn't care. Thus did the monk Kapila adopt an evil mode of conduct and go about with companions, meaning other monks. 
<coughs> confirmed in confirmed like himself in an evil mode of conduct. Evil meaning wrong speech and and hurting people. One day he said to himself, I will recite the Patimoka in the Hall of Discipline. And this is where things fell apart for him. So taking a fan and seating himself in the seat of the law, the Dhamma seat, meaning the head of the hall, I guess, he recited the Patimoka, the Vinaya, the rules, asking the usual question, which is like the collective confessional, Brother, Brethren, are there among the monks who are here gathered together any who have anything to confess? Right. So he's the confessor. Okie dokie. And, and so you have confessors, confessors, who are full of uh, service to self uh, <laughs> negative tendency. How about that? That's a nice thing. So, <clears throat> I always thought that it was a real problem. There was something very odd to me, and now I understand it, um, that uh, Lady Justice was blindfolded. Justice is blind. How about Justice is all-seeing? <laughs> Humans <laughs> who are generally quite blind or, you know, long way from wisdom, actually, um, thought that <laughs> true justice is blind. I thought that was strange. Wouldn't true justice be all-seeing and all-knowing? Um, I guess they can't think that. So, anyway, uh, he's the confessor, and um, that's interesting. The monks then thought, <laughs> who knew his, uh, who, who had his number, what is the use of giving this fellow an answer? He's just going to knock us down, whether we're true or false. If we say something that's true, he'll cut it down and say false. If we say what's false, he'll say it's true. We can't trust him. And so, <clears throat> observing that the monks all remained silent because they didn't trust him, he said, brethren, there is no Dhamma or Vinaya. What difference does it make whether you hear Patimoka or not? This whole Buddha Dhamma is bullshit. So saying, he arose from the seat. Thus did he retard uh, the teaching of the Dhamma of uh, Buddha Kashapa. And so he uh, negated or um, made statement that there was no real Dhamma or Vinaya and therefore the Patimoka, the third, means nothing, and so it's all bullshit and garbage. And that's kind of considered, in Buddhism, that's considered a very serious matter <laughs> to create a schism in the Sangha or turn people away from their own spiritual growth. And that's a big matter. And for anybody who's teaching or us, we should be careful not to mm, give people what they can't use. Because even if what we say is true, if they can't use it, they're not ready, or they don't want it, uh, it can lead them to reject um, study and learning uh, of self and universe and spiritual path uh, for in a significant way. We can retard their progress by carelessly speaking truths they're unwilling and unable to integrate. It's a big deal. Then, in the story, Elder Sadhana attained Nibbana in that very state of existence, so the brother gets it. <clears throat> As for Kapila, at the end of his allotted term of life, he was reborn in the great hell of Avicii, Nirea. His mother and sister followed his example, reviled and abused the kindly monks, and were reborn in the same hell. 
So mommy, daddy, or mommy and sister and little brother all go to hell because they reviled and abused kindly monks. So if you abuse and put down and enjoy, delight in um, hurting the kindly or the innocent, yeah, probably you'll go to hell. Now, at that time, there were 500 men. <laughs> this is the story. It's a real, um, it's called a shaggy dog tail. This is a real shaggy dog tail. This is all before the sutta. <laughs> now, at that time, there were 500 men who made a living by plundering villages. They were highway robbers. One day, of this 500, the men of the countryside pursued them, whereupon they fled and entered the forest. So the 500 uh, highway robbers go together. Uh, it's a little bit like a Zatoichi movie. If you know Zatoichi, this is sort of this happens in Zatoichi movies. Not 500, but uh, a dozen. Whereupon they fled and entered the forest, and uh, Zatoichi followed them. No, no, no. Seeing no refuge there, and meeting a certain forest hermit, they, the 500, saluted him and said, Reverend Sir, be our refuge. <laughs> so they, they found God in the middle of the um, escape from... Uh, the villagers who were going to kill them all because they were robbing their people. So he goes to the forest hermit, respectfully asks him to to basically take refuge um, in a formal way as uh, students of this hermit. The elder replied, For you there is no refuge like the precepts of morality, meaning... What you really need is to learn morality and stop hurting people and screwing up the world. Do you take upon yourselves, all of you, the five precepts, Panchashila, right? against killing or physical harm, lying or any form of wrong speech, against stealing, taking what's not given, and then harm by intoxicants, harm by sex. Uh, that's one quick write-up of the five precepts. Very well, agreed the bandits and they didn't, took upon themselves the five precepts. This is while the angry villagers are on their way. Then the elder admonished them, saying, Now that you've taken upon yourself the precepts, e not even for the sake of saving your lives, may you transgress the moral law or entertain evil thoughts. Very well, said the former bandits, giving their promise. So they were promised, uh, they, they promised to keep the five precepts. Even... Um, um, under threat of death. And that's what they got. <laughs> and so they basically, you'll see, were able to, you know, so the story goes, um, work off karmically to some degree um, their evil, <laughs> their harm uh, as highway robbers by letting themselves get slaughtered. When the men of the countryside reached that place, they searched everywhere and, discovering the bandits, deprived all those bandits of life. They deprived them. Sorry, no more life in this body. So the bandits died and were reborn in the world of the gods. Now, is that Brahma Loka? Or is that someplace Rupa Loka? Who knows? The leader of the bandits became the leading deity of the group. <laughs> it's a very strange story. So the leader of the 500 becomes the leading deity in some what, upper Kamaloka realm? After passing through the round of existences forward and backward in the world of the gods, Kamaloka, <clears throat> Kamaloka being, um, well, it's actually a Brahma, it could be Brahmaloka or Devaloka, which, which plane we don't know. 
for the period of an interval between two Buddhas, meaning Kashapa and Gautama, then they were reborn in the dispensation of the present Buddha Gautama in a village of fishermen consisting of 500 households near the gate of Savati. These are the guys who found Kapila. The leader of the band of deities <laughs> received a new conception, meaning he was born, in the house of the leader of the fishermen. So the 500 deities, or devas, who were 500 bandits, who were born in a higher positive, you know, a higher benevolent, beneficent astral plane, because they truly did take the five precepts, particularly uh, agreed not to harm in the face of being murdered and let themselves get killed, <clears throat> then are reborn to a village of fishermen. And the, the bandit who became the leader in the astral plane became, was born to the leader of the fishermen in the village. This does happen. <laughs> Meaning, um, social uh, relationship structure, social a collective grouping, or individual, uh, a small group um, power dynamic structure is sometimes retained from the astral to the physical. And so the leader of the deities who was the leader of the bandits becomes the son of the leader of the fisherman's village. So, the leader of the band of deities received new conception, meaning he was conceived in the house of the leader of the fishermen. The other deities who were bandits were also born as babies, children, in the houses of other fishermen. That does happen. <laughs> Things like that. Thus, on one and the same day, all received a new conception, meaning they were all conceived. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of Barry White playing in the background in that village uh, 500 times uh, uh, on one night. And then they all came forth from the wombs of their mothers. The leader of the fishermen thought to himself, were not some other boys born in this village today? So the fisherman's leader, the leader of the fishermen in the village, comes to recognize that there are all these other boys born the same time as his son. Causing a search to be made, he learned that the companions had been reborn in the same place. Meaning that there, there's a whole bunch of baby boys born the same day. These will be the companions of my son, thought he, and sent food to them all for their sustenance. They all became playfellows and friends, and in the course of time grew to manhood. So, <laughs> from 500 highway robber bandits who then accept the five precepts and um, let themselves be killed um, and therefore not break the first precept of killing or harming, reborn in a higher, probably uh, Kamaloka realm uh, and keep the five precepts meaning they, they do no harm are reborn together in a village of fishermen, and the leader of the deities, or the previous bandits, becomes the son of the leading fisherman of the village. Mm -hmm. So they all, play, play, they all became playfellows. The oldest of the fishermen's sons won fame and glory and became the leading man of the group. <laughs> Meanwhile, our happy monk Kapila was tormented in hell during the period of an interval between two Buddhas, and through the fruit of his evil deeds, which still remained, meaning uh, he did a lot of harm. <laughs> he, 
he was like an evil element in the Sangha, uh, staying as a monk, um, delighting in harm. He was reborn at this time in the river Achiravati, so it's a river, as a fish, and that's Kapilamacha. His skin was of a golden hue, but he had a stinking breath. So there are some people who have a beautiful appearance and a stinking breath. Yes, indeed. Story of the present. The fisherman and the fish with the stinking breath. <laughs> now, aren't you happy I read this story? It's going to be one hour <laughs> just to read the backstory. And then next week I'm going to read the suttas from uh, Ireland and translation and Tanisaro's translation. Uh, so, story of the present. Now, one day, those companions said to themselves, let us snare some fish. So, taking a net, they threw it into the river. So, the guys who caught Kapila Macha, the golden fish, not red fish, um, were a band of brothers who uh, were reborn together, uh, probably uh, with a lot of merit, uh, even though they're living in a simple fishing village, uh, because they then connected to the Buddha later by catching the fish catching the fish who happened to be a wayward monk. <clears throat> so, taking a net, they threw it to the river. It so happened that this fish fell into their net, Kapilamacha. When the residents of the village of fishermen saw the fish, they made merry and said, Hey, the first time our sons snared fish, they caught a goldfish, meaning a golden fish. Now the king will give us abundant wealth. Hey, hey, they want money. The companions tossed the fish into a boat, went to the king. When the king saw the fish, he asked, What's that? A fish, your majesty, replied the companions. When the fish saw it was a golden fish, he thought to himself, Hmm, the teacher, Kotama, will know the reason why this fish has a golden hue. End quote. So, ordering the fish to be carried for him, he went to the teacher. Soon as the fish opened his mouth, the whole Jetawana stank. It was stanky. Who, who said that? I think that's uh, <clears throat> maybe uh, Martin Lawrence. Or uh, the other wanderer. Uh, I forgot his name. Good guy. The whole Jetawana stank became stanky. The king asked the teacher, meaning Gautama, Reverend Sir, how did this fish come to have a golden hue, and why is it that he has a stinking breath? Some, there are some humans who just have a stinky breath. That's considered a karmic return. Yes, it's uh, in the body. Yeah, duh, it's in the body. Yeah, so duh, there are physiological bases called, you know, whatever, bacterial overgrowth and thrush and all sorts of strange physiological um, pathologies. Why are there physiological pathologies? Oh, well, it might have something to do with that soul's past lives and their, their, his, their speech history, history of speech. So, Gautama <coughs> explains it and says, Great King... In the dispensation of exalted Kashapa, this fish was a monk named Kapila. Kapila was very learned, had a large following, but he was overcome with desire of gain and would abuse and revile those who would not take him at his word. Take him at his word. <laughs> there are some people you'll find who are infuriated if you don't agree with them. There are some minds that cannot accept um, truth directly but it must be there. They cannot accept your formulation. They are going to make it their own formulation. I say something, and they say, well, but you know, today's a nice day. Well, you know, but yesterday was really nicer. <laughs> this is a bad fourth ray. 
not not green heart chakra, but in Theosophy, seven rays, uh, harmony through conflict, the troublemaking, distorted version of uh, ray four, harmony through conflict in the Theosophical system, is making conflict where there's actually harmony, believing that conflict must be generated to make some kind of greater harmony, or they associate some kind of greater harmony that is their own. I made it by first generating conflict, which can be um, not accepting others' truths, but reframing them, rephrasing them, offering them as one's own, and saying, this is the truth. And so there are people who demand, demand that you see it their way. Even if you see it their way, if you don't phrase it their way, they may be upset. So be careful of a, of a conflicted mind. Learn to say yes. If it's true, say yes. After that, you can say what else is true or important for you, whatever you like. But if it's true, I think we should agree it's true. No matter who says it, and even how they say it, yes, it's true. And let me clarify how I see it, which builds on your statement that I think we agree is true. Not not you, but me. But you and me. Win-win. It's very important. Some people are very obstreperous or obstructive or obnoxious <clears throat> and troublemaking with their mouth because they, they want their formulation of truth. They can't accept others. So be careful. <laughs> Thus, anyway, this fellow reviled those who wouldn't take him at his word he retarded the religion of Kashapa, meaning he harmed the Sangha and the monks and those souls. That's a big problem. He, he delighted in uh, personal gain that he formulated as predicated on others' rejection or knocking them down, taking them down to size, whittling them down. His gain was tied to their loss. Their loss was his method of achieving his gain. So, he retarded the religion, or he was a real Dhamma troublemaker. Reborn in Avicii hell, because the fruit of evil deed had not yet been exhausted. It's a big one, I guess, so they say. He was just reborn as a fish, and then these guys caught him. Now, since for a long time he preached the word of the Buddha, he's preached, you know, Abhidhamma and Vinaya, or Patimokha and everything. He recited praises of the Buddha, so his word was great. <clears throat> for that, for the quant, for the the nature of what he had said, that was in line with Buddha Dhamma, he received a golden hue. But because he reviled and abused monks, for that he came to have stinking breath. And so, <clears throat> it's this is reality, kids. This is really the way it is. Um, there are people who, I mean, it's common all the time that all of us have. Um, interpenetrating threads or streams of positive and negative karmic root. Meaning, uh, one person, uh, a person, has a beautiful body and a really ugly voice. Another person has a beautiful voice and a really ugly face. Another person is big and strong um, <clears throat> but has no, no self-confidence. Another person has great self-confidence and they're short and ugly. Some people are very smart and virtuous and not good-looking. Some people are good-looking and very evil. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
and these are this would be considered the ripening of distinct um, karmic streams in one way that soul the, the soul did really fine work or has real merit in one uh, in one of those streams or one of those causal lines and in another the opposite <laughs> and in another they did great harm so he has a beautiful golden hue and and a, a rotten smell open his mouth he opens his mouth there are people like that <laughs> not only people who eat too much meat but people who naturally have uh, what uh, halitosis or some kind of breath problem it's not it's for the cause of the physiology. Of course the physiology, yes, it's mediated by his physiology and the brain. It's a state of mind. It's a physiological effect, of course. Why does he have a body that does that? So, then, (laughs) but because he reviled and abused monks for that, he's come to have stinking breath. I will let him speak for himself, great king, said Gautama. (laughs) And And Gautama and the king is like, yeah, okay, whatever. Reverend sir, by all means, let him, the monk, the fish, speak for himself. So, Gautama spoke to the fish. Are you Kapila? Yes, Reverend sir, I am Kapila, said the golden fish. Where have you come from? From the great hell of Avicii, Reverend sir. What became of your older brother, Sadana? He passed into Nibbana, Reverend sir. But what became of your mother, Sadini? She was reborn in hell, Reverend sir. What became of your younger sister, Tapana? She was reborn in hell, Reverend Sir. Where shall you go now? Into the great hell of Avicii, Reverend Sir. So saying, the fish, overcome with remorse, regret, guilt, struck his head against the boat, died then and there, and was reborn in hell, in Avicii. The multitude multitude that stood by were greatly excited, like, what? Insomuch that the hair of their bodies stood on end, now, <laughs> could this have really happened? I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't assume it, it's fanciful. It could be, but I wouldn't assume. I mean, <clears throat> there are people, there really are wonder workers. <clears throat> there really, a Buddha is a Superman. A Buddha is a big deal. And when they're around, um, many amazing things uh, often happen. Or amazing, miraculous, shocking kind of no-compute no things happen. At that moment, the exalted one, Gautama, perceiving the disposition of mind of the company there assembled, meaning the 500 fishermen who were bandits and then went to heaven and came back as the children of fishermen in the village, and the king, and his court, <laughs> and the townspeople, <laughs> The disposition of the company there assembled, he, Gautama, preached the law in a way suiting the occasion. And he said, a life of righteousness, a life of holiness, this they call the gem of highest worth. That's the first, those are the first two lines of Dhammacharya Sutta. Uh, Translated by Ireland as the practice of Dhamma, the practice of continence, mastery of this is said to be best if the person has gone forth from home to the homeless life. So if you're going to be a monk, it's best to follow uh, conduct of Dhamma and Brahma, the holy life or the Dhamma life, and that's the translation Tanisaro gave to Dhammacharya Sutta, 
the Dhamma life. And yeah, right, that's exactly it. Dhamma Charya, Dhamma conduct, the way of life in accord with Buddha Dhamma. And that's the first two lines uh, of the Sutta here, also translated as a life of righteousness is Dhamma Charya, a life of holiness, Brahma Charya. This, this they call the gem of highest worth. And so then, uh, beginning with those words, Gautama, the teacher, recited in full the Kapila Sutta, found in Sutta Napata. Having done so, then he pronounced the following stanzas about craving. So what went into the Dhammapada is Dhammapada 334 to 337 about craving and floating from life to life and being so, um, so attached to craving as Kapila the monk was, that like um, the, um, the creeper, um, craving growing like a creeping vine, tangling all up, leading to continual rever- rebirth, uh, and the recommendation to dig up the root of craving. And craving is for sensual pleasure, and for becoming and non-becoming or higher states experience and reincarnation and and craving of wrong views at some level too Uh, this is the teaching against Tana (laughs) and so all that is the backstory to Kapila Sutta or Dhammacharya Sutta which is uh, the story of Kapila Macha the fish very interesting (laughs) and Let's see where we are. Uh, let me just read it through from Tanisaro's translation, which is really much better, I think, than Ireland's. So, Dhammacharya Sutta, also called Kapila Sutta, the Dhamma life, Dhammacharya, <coughs> goes, Tanisaro, living the Dhamma life, Dhammacharya, living the holy life, Brahmacharya, this, they say, is the highest power. But if, having gone forth from home into homelessness, you are harsh-mouthed, delighting in injury, a stupid beast, your life is more evil. You increase your own dust. A monk delighting in quarrels, shrouded under delusion, doesn't know the Dhamma even when proclaimed by the Awakened One. Injuring those developed in mind, he surrounded by ignorance doesn't know defilement to be the path that leads to hell arriving at deprivation uh, meaning a a lower state from womb to womb from darkness to darkness a monk of this sort after death comes to suffering just like a cesspit full used for many years one of this sort befouled would be hard to clean there are some people like that Monks, whoever you know to be like this, depending on meaning attached to homes, meaning stuff from lay people, evil in his desires, evil in his resolves, evil in behavior and range, all of you, united, shun him. Sweep away the sweepings, throw away the trash, then remove the chaff. Non-contemplatives who think they're contemplatives, meaning the chaff remove the trash of non-contemplatives who think that they are contemplatives. Having swept away those of evil desires, evil in behavior and range, then pure, 
affiliate mindfully with the pure. Then, united, astute, you will put an end to suffering and stress. So, it's a really beautiful sutta, I think. And... uh, Maybe yeah, maybe I'll just read a just to speak a little bit on this, and then we'll close it for today. <laughs> this is a funny style today, which just came naturally, which is a enormous introduction, and then a very quick flash um, flash reading. So Dhammacharya, yeah, I think I'll just um, I'll just read it. Uh, just uh, give a few minutes commentary, and that'll be all. We don't need to pick it up again next week. Uh, so Dhammacharya, Bharacharya is, you know, the way of <clears throat> uh, of a careful, um, heedful life. Trying not to make trouble, trying to see things clearly, um, trying to imagine consequences uh, of uh, speech and decision um, when it seems important or questionable. That's the highest power. The the way of the, the I mean, every religion says they're the best, right? So. Buddhism too, <laughs> as the view that this way is the best for you. Um, but if you don't follow it, it doesn't mean you go to hell. It just means you'll follow another way, depending on how you live the other way, um, you're, you'll make your own fate and reincarnation. Uh, but the worst of all <laughs> is to become a monk and then make trouble and do harm under the robe. Under the robe meaning with the robe going forth from home to homelessness, harsh mouth, delighting in injury. This is um, the far end of uh, morality or immorality, delighting in hurting others. Uh, Harsh mouth is harsh speech. Delighting in injury is called malicious speech and sadism. And you better figure out who's that way because you should not associate with them. And, and that is um, a sub-theme here, which is how to deal with such a person, a confirmed harm-bringer, harm a, a confirmed troublemaker. How to deal with such a person? Well, first is admonishment, and then is um, um, rejection, distancing, and staying away. That's it. Now, you want to keep going back to them? Go right ahead. But what's shown here, which I think is wise response, or careful handling, uh, is to um, after admonishment being rejected, um, leave them to their own fate. Leave them to their own future. Leave them alone. And associate with those who are in harmony with what we value. And let them go their own way. And um, to think that Gautama is a softy is wrong. And to think that love or enlightenment is always sweet-mouthed is wrong. He's saying, you know, this one who delights in injury uh, is like a stupid beast, like a stupid animal. Stupid meaning unreasoning. Yeah, that's what I've seen. I mean, some cats and dogs and elephants and horses and dolphins and whales. uh, Yeah, some of them are very sweet and lovely. But the majority of animals are dumb. <laughs> Sorry, that's what I see. They may be sweet. I like I like butterflies. I like a lot uh, of little creatures. But their mental power is not so great. And so 
Likewise, a person who delights in injury um, through harsh mouth living um, is really dumb because they have no idea what, what they're setting up for themselves in the future. Delighting in quarrels, um, injuring those developed in mind. The note on the page here is that developed in mind means able to experience painful feelings, sensation, and thought without their invading and remaining in mind. And that's the point. <clears throat> uh, dukkha is inevitable, but um, suffering, it's like pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. The pain, dukkha as pain, is inevitable, or the pain or uh, dissatisfaction of impermanence and insubstantiality. All that we're, all that we're experiencing, is impermanent and insubstantial. There's a basic dukkha from that. That's inevitable. Then there is um, very um, elaborated forms of suffering that we create for ourselves. Or, and don't need to. That's optional. And uh, <clears throat> those that um, uh, are, de quote, developed in mind may be injured, but don't injure themselves by their reactions. And my response to Catalyst is not to fashion painful experience beyond the normal dukkha pain of impermanence and insubstantiality. That's a very important point. So, um, you hurt me? No, I hurt me in my reaction to your harsh word, or malicious word, or false word. I felt hurt. I made that, and I don't have to react in a certain way. I can react any way I'm able to. And... So, <clears throat> those that are developed in mind have this patient endurance, able to sit through it and not further distort ourselves in the case, in the, in the situation of being hurt or being in the presence of a harmful one, or suffering pain in the body or various conditions like, you know, living on earth with all of these repeaters, living on earth in a, in a mentally and spiritually degenerating collective. A mentally and spiritually degenerating collective. I think that's what's happening to the collective to some degree. Not everybody. Some people are doing really, really well. Um, but uh, a lot of people seem to be <laughs> more and more delus delusional. So, arriving at deprivation, meaning a lower hell or hungry ghost rebirth. Womb to womb, darkness to darkness. A monk or a person of this sort after death comes to suffering again and again and again like an old uh, full cesspit of uh, nasty things. And so the final way is to shun such a person. A person who's convicted, uh, convinced, or certified in their harm, in their doing of harm. And so leave him alone. And that's just what happens in No Solar, you know, they help who they can, and then they leave. Having swept away those of evil desires, evil behavior, and range, meaning a whole range of uh, harmful thought, word, and deed, um, then the advice is uh, affiliate mindfully with the pure. If you affiliate mindfully with the pure, increasingly we become pure. Then, united, astute meaning come together and help each other and be clear-minded and seeing and heedful 
then eventually one puts an end to all dukkha and trouble. And that is Dhammacharya Sutta or Kapila Sutta. And <laughs> it's very interesting. So that's it <laughs> for today. And um, next week, where are we? Just a moment. Next week we will look at Brahma, um, Ramana, it's called uh, Brahmana Dhamika, Brahmana Dhamika Sutta, uh, Principles of Brahman, or God, or High Spiritual Being. And the title, <laughs> um, this is different, there's a, it's actually Brahmin, Bra I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about this, but there's the God Brahma, and then there's the human religious uh, caste called Brahmin. The, the write-up from Tanasara was how Brahmins, it really should be Brahmins, I think, through greed, abandoned the good principles of their ancestors. And so that's um, distorted Vedic Brahmanism um, had abandoned <laughs> the good ways um, at which, uh, from, which it, uh, from which it developed or its roots. So we'll look into more of Gautama's commentary on the Brahmanism or Hindu um, ways of India 2,500 years ago around him in society. Uh, so I hope this was helpful. I hope you can see that <clears throat> even um, uh, fanciful Buddhist stories uh, whose um, realism um, really cannot be certified. It, there are strange things that happen. Fish that speak. It does happen. I mean, to say, oh no, you're a fool. You are a fucking fool if you say, you know all that cannot happen. Don't be a fool. And anybody who says, no, it cannot. It's impossible. Why? Because you're omniscient? It's impossible. Why? Are you omniscient? <laughs> Please. Let, let's, you know, we shouldn't fall for that. Um, we don't really know what's not possible and all that is possible. We don't know. And this, the metaphysical, the physical, and the metaphysical are inseparable. It's one. To call it physical and metaphysical is only because we don't perceive the non-physical. <clears throat> um, so, anyway, don't, don't, don't assume you know all that can and cannot be. That would be very uh, foolish. So, anyway, thank you for listening. I hope it was helpful. I hope you're well. Take care in the cold weather, and good night.